everyone, and welcome to Only in San Jose, a podcast about demystifying and democratizing the process of civic participation only in San Jose. My name is Alina Yin, and I will be your host. Hello, everybody. I um, am really happy that the Charter Review Commission came up with this proposal and that, you know, it will be discussed on Monday at the April 11th meeting. And in preparation for this, I wanted to interview somebody about AI. And though this proposal talks a lot about different types of things, I know that there is a lot of thoughts and stories out there about AI and what is possible for AI. And so I reached out to an expert and I'm really happy to have them join us on this uh, this episode and this conversation. I It was a lot of fun and also a very important topic. I know that this topic can be hard to navigate, find resources on. And so I really hope that you find the information helpful. Before we get into that, I'm going to go over the recommendation. If you want to skip to around the 10-minute mark to the interview, please feel free to do so. So... The recommendation is asking to alter appointments to the City of San Jose Smart City Advisory Board and the Innovation and Technology Advisory Board with the goal of strengthening community input on the effects and consequences of technological change. The commission encourages the council to expand the size and breadth of its membership on the Smart City Advisory Board and the Innovation and Technology Advisory Board. The exact number of appointment members, appointed members should be determined by the city council after consultation with the San Jose's Office of Racial Equity and community academic experts and industry stakeholders. Board membership should be focused on expanding the range of perspectives, backgrounds, and experiences of appointees. New members might include representatives from the city's different council districts, neighborhood associations, academic experts, and or representatives of nonprofit organizations and civic organizations with extensive experience working with the San Jose with San Jose's diverse population and communities. This recommendation was passed on Thursday, November 18th, 2021 with a unanimous yes vote with one person absent. Now, why is this particular change being recommended? As part of the Smart City vision, San Jose has created two advisory boards, the Smart City Advisory Board and the Innovation and Technology Advisory Board. The Smart City Advisory Board aims to obtain expert input from industry thought leaders experienced at creating and deploying innovative technology solutions to solve 21st century problems. The Innovation and Technology Advisory Board is designed to tap the rich expertise of our community in shaping the strategic technology direction of the city. Now, while technological advancement, including advancements in artificial intelligence and machine learning, carry the promise of bringing innovation and efficiency to city governance, they also stand to intersect with long-standing economic and social issues and challenges. For example, new software and internet-based technologies are likely to reshape the future of work. This includes both the type of work available to city residents, but also where future work is done. What this means for the future of job growth and opportunities, city tax revenues, economic opportunities, service delivery, individual privacy, and social and economic inequality are important considerations. And the tech innovation, including AI, is likely to also affect core city functions, including, we've already kind of heard about policing and public safety, record keeping, transportation, among others. And this change is also likely to alter how residents interact with political leaders and their representatives in the democratic process. Tech change is synonymous with the smart city vision and is likely to affect San Jose's diverse population in very different and unpredictable ways. This is already recognized by city leaders and San Jose has already developed a digital inclusion and broadband strategy. Yet, currently, the Smart City and Innovation and Technology Advisory Board members are almost universally drawn from technology industry, 
meaning there are no residents on this board and it's all tech industry representatives. There's no requirement that the composition of the board members include community representatives from the city of different council districts, neighborhood associations, academic representatives, or social service providers, or civic organizations who may bring different, um, often overlooked perspectives regarding the benefits and costs of technology and what it means for city governance and community life. Now, racial and ethnic minorities, residents with lower socioeconomic status and traditionally underserved neighborhoods are less likely to experience the full benefits of technological advancement. This has been seen most recently with the inequitable expansion of the broadband technologies with urban spaces. These same groups are more likely to experience negative consequences from change, from the tech change. This has particularly been true in the labor market and increasing both the number and diversity of perspectives on these boards will actually strengthen community representation and hopefully elevate the concerns among people and groups who benefit the least or who are harmed the most by these technological changes. It will improve the chances that new technologies are deployed in the city in a manner that is consistent with the goals and values of the entire community. In the area, cities like uh, San Ramon and Petaluma have innovative um, technology boards that include members of the community who are independent of the tech industry. The city of Oakland has developed a privacy advisory commission to provide advice on cities' purchase of surveillance equipment and data storage. That's pretty brilliant. I think we should do that. Um, and San Jose residents who are directly or indirectly affected by technology change would benefit from this change because um, first, minimal cost it would impose on the city council to expand the membership and council members would need to spend some time researching and consulting on these issues. Um, so that's the, the summary of the report. And they do go over some of the arguments. Well, there's one main argument against this proposal that was listed here. And it says, issues surrounding technology and technolo technological change can be technical and complex. As a result, some may argue that this, a significant degree of expertise is needed to knowledgeably engage on technology-related issues. Discussions and policy recommendations should be reserved for people, representatives from the tech sector, with a deep familiarity of the industry and how new technologies are developed and deployed. There's no answer to that argument, but I would say that just because I, for example, don't know how to make a laptop and all of the components that are in there, as a person who uses laptop for many years, I can tell you that it was probably not the best design knowing that you're working from a desk and your head is tilted and you're looking down all day. And there has been now numerous studies and health uh, detriments and um, they invented a solution called a laptop stand and sold it to us. And so now that's what I have. But that is valuable experience that needs to be at the table, I would argue, because the people using this technology, if we are harmed by it, whether immediately or over time, as we learn more about the, the effects of these technologies, if we're not at the table, then we're going to be constantly overlooked. And things that harm us are going to keep getting worse. And by the way, I forgot to mention that this is not a charter change. This is a policy recommendation. So luckily, being a policy recommendation, it can be approved by council by majority vote. And then it's done. Just like that. And now for our guest. Mashika Allgood is a AI ethicist and the founder of Ally Consulting. It is a platform for providing AI education across various industries to people with non-tech and non-AI backgrounds. They are also a member of the Board of Foundation for Best Practices in Machine Learning, and there are going to be resource links in the, the show notes, and um, I really hope that you enjoy this conversation. Okay, so we'll, we'll go ahead and start. And um, if you could uh, please introduce yourself and, you know, some hobbies and passions that have kept you grounded um, during work and in, in the pandemic times that we're in. Ah, so my name is Mashika Allgood. Uh, I am 
um, the founder of Ally Consulting LLC. Uh, it is an education, an AI education platform for non-techies. So our goal is to create AI literacy, digital literacy, specifically AI literacy um, amongst professionals who are not techies. So education, healthcare, legal, um, things of that nature. What has kept me sane during the pandemic? Speculative fiction by Black women. So yes, um, huge, huge fan of that. I got a stack of books that I keep. Uh, favorite book right now is Binti. Uh, awesomeness, you should check it out. Um, uh, Star Trek Discovery. Oh, there's, a, okay. there's a Black girl who's running Star Trek, which never in my lifetime, so freaking awesome. <laughs> And it's a legit good story. Oh, it's all the things. Um, my wife had me buy Animal Crossing. And early in the pandemic, that kept her sane, which kept me sane. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and then just spending more time outside uh, once the smoke cleared. Uh, trying to walk around in nature a bit. Deep breaths, sun on your back. Um mm. Yeah, and, and being more gentle with myself, if my brain is not capable, not forcing it. Mm -hmm. uh, but my passion during the pandemic was largely AI. Like I left mm -hmm. my job right at the beginning of the pandemic to focus on AI and AI ethics. And so taking courses, reading articles, um, posting articles on LinkedIn, massive on LinkedIn, that's mm -hmm. what I did during the majority of the pandemic. And it was my creative outlet and kept me sane. Oh, that is, I'm going to check, check out those articles. I know I've checked out definitely um, some of your classes that you have on your website and I found them very approachable. Um, and just backtracking a little bit to the books. Uh, are you a Octavia Butler fan? How could I, did I not <laughs> say it? You didn't say it. <laughs> yes, I like... I, I started with her, mm -hmm. and then I got into Nydia Korafor. Mm -hmm. Oh, I, I haven't heard. Me. Okay. Yeah. I'll have to look um, into those. And then I'm in uh, Jemison. I can't remember her first name right now. Uh, but she's she also writes... Uh, she also writes speculative fiction, and she writes, um, like, trilogies. I like trilogies because I read mm -hmm. pretty fast. N.K. Jemison. That's her name. Um, I read really fast, and so I need volume. Mm -hmm. And so she writes volume. And I, I do like Akora Four's writing style better. Um, mm -hmm. But Jemison, she she's out there like Octavia Butler's out there. Like, they do okay. some things. <laughs> they, they tell some stories. But, yeah, I, I spent a lot of time over, uh, over the break just reading and immersing myself in a world that didn't have the issues that we have and had different yeah. issues, but, mm -hmm. you know, seeing people work through them kind of gives you hope of us working through ours in a weird yeah. way. But, yeah. yeah. Well, that's what, you know, fiction, especially I think like sci-fi speculative fiction is, is part of how we dream of the future. Mm. And so it's important that we have diverse and out there dreams because who knows what the future will hold. Um, I finished reading recently Lost Dreamer by Liz Horte. It's her yeah. first book, and I would describe it as like mess. I think the in the book in the back cover it says Mesoamerican indigenous sci-fi. Oh, and it's oh, really okay. good. And there okay. were things like, oh, I see how you're doing your water system in here. <laughs> like, <Right? laughs> no, that stuff matters. I mean, these yeah, are, these are um, a lot of the a lot of the innovations that we have in tech come from sci-fi people had a cool idea of something somebody read it growing up and was like I think I can make that happen mm -hmm. and made it happen like so yeah. I I think you know we we go to sci-fi for innovation a lot of times so okay mm -hmm. we're gonna have to exchange yeah. after yeah. yeah yeah it's all it's like a vision board you know it keeps us <laughs> <laughs> no that's true that's true that makes a lot of sense yeah <clears throat> all right so you started talking a, a little bit about ally um, why don't you tell us a bit more about, you know, Ally, and I know that you're also a member of the uh, Black Leaders Kitchen Cabinet, and um, yeah. Yeah, so Ally was born out of me just harassing people on LinkedIn and wanting not to look like a stalker, <laughs> so I was like, I should probably start a company so that I have some, some credibility, um, so mm -hmm. it was just kind of a shell to start. I paid the taxes, but <laughs> it was a shell. <laughs> 
to start. And I just didn't really know what I wanted to do with it. And then I started talking to some people in education and was like, you know, people are telling them they need to teach kids about AI, but if they don't understand AI, how are they supposed mm -hmm. to teach AI? And so that was the initial focus, but it's hard to get into education. Uh, they, they have a lot more, it's more difficult to do something really new. Uh, mm -hmm. unless you have a PhD in education. So mm -hmm. I, I have a lot of degrees, but not mm -hmm. that particular one. Um, so I was like, well, who else needs this knowledge? Well, lawyers. Duh, mm -hmm. you're a lawyer. <laughs> like, why not tell <laughs> lawyers? So I was like, okay, let me revamp and let me start with um, legal education. And so mm -hmm. I put out a CLE earlier this year um, for lawyers um, as part of a series. I'm revamping that. It was like a MVP. I'm revamping mm -hmm. that, putting out again this summer and along with other courses. And so the idea of Ally is to create um, kind of foundational, accessible AI courses across a variety of industries. So we'll have courses for lawyers, courses for educators, courses for healthcare providers, and basically explaining why this is important to you. The, the critical or pivotal foundational things you need to understand about the tech so that you can mm -hmm. make uh, uh, decisions, legitimate decisions about whether you need it, whether you should use it, you know, what, what you should create around it to buffer it and mm -hmm. things of that nature. And so that's the goal of Ally. And in that vein, I do a lot of speaking. And a friend of mine told me about uh, Black Leadership Kitchen Cabinet. I was showing to things for a while and I was like, hey, I want to give a, a little short talk. And they were like, uh, can we get to it later? I was like, nah, we, we need to get to this now. And they, <laughs> they gave me a platform. They let me mm -hmm. speak, and out of that uh, came this uh, working group on um, tech advocacy and, and AI and, and digital and privacy. Um, and so we are just kind of getting started with that. Uh, but the Black Leadership Kitchen Cabinet is a group of leaders uh, across uh, the, the Bay Area and just kind of meet and, and talk about different things that they're doing in their areas and try to work together uh, for positive uh, change for society. And mm -hmm. so this will be one of the things that that group uh, will kind of come together on and work with other groups to push us in, in a more positive direction around AI in the Bay Area. Okay, very cool. And is this, um, is this group, I'm assuming, it's, like it's open for other people who are interested in it? It is completely open. There's no technical membership. Like, you mm -hmm. show up, you involve yourself, you don't show up you don't involve yourself like it's it's really about you know whoever wants to come and serve come and mm -hmm. serve so it's it's black leadership kitchen cabinet of silicon valley they like that mm -hmm. silicon valley part i leave it out sometimes um, <laughs> but it's it's really the whole thing and mm -hmm. so um there's no fees or anything it's really about do you want to come and be a part of this then please feel free but there's no pressure okay cool i'll definitely share um how to get in touch um in our show notes so, um, you know, can you share uh, a little bit about AI for first-time listeners on the topic? Like, what, what is it and why is it really important in the context of um, how you're approaching it in law and, you know, with professionals, but also with everyday residents and citizens? So uh, artificial intelligence is not intelligent. And not completely artificial. <laughs> so basically, we've taught computers to do some of the things that brains can do. So one of the things um, that we do really well is kind of like, or, or not quite as well as computers because our brains don't, well, we can't take in as much data and move as quickly, is mm -hmm. taking in data, figuring out a pattern in that data. So that's 90% of the AI that you'll see out in the world, it, that's mm -hmm. what it's doing. It is gathering a lot of, of data and then looking through that data to understand patterns. So we will take a data set, say, of tweets, right? Mm -hmm. And we'll say, these are positive tweets, these are negative tweets, these are sad tweets, these are happy tweets. And humans will go through and label all the tweets. And then mm -hmm. we'll feed it into the AI system and the AI system will learn, okay, this is what a, these are the patterns that make a positive tweet. These are the patterns that make a negative tweet, right? Uh, and then we'll say, okay, now go through and flag all the positive, negative, whatever tweets. And it'll say, okay, and it'll go through and it'll look at each tweet and it'll look at its pattern. And if it's close to the same pattern, then it'll flag it. 
And if it's not as close to the same pattern, it's not quite as sure, right? So that's what's happening when you when you are looking on social media and they're supposed to be taking off hate speech and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Is It's just looking for patterns. Mm-hmm. The same thing when they use AI to determine who should get or who committed fraud in their social uh, or in their unemployment uh, benefits. So in California, when a million people got thrown off of unemployment last year, mm-hmm. you had an AI system that was looking for patterns of fraud, right? Mm-hmm. And based on its patterns, it determined all these people are likely fraudulent, throw them off, mm-hmm. right? The problem with AI is when it determines those patterns, it is locked to that data set. Mm-hmm. That initial data set, you trained it where you said, this is positive, this is negative. So if that data set didn't include this particular kind of behavior, then the AI doesn't know it. It's never seen mm-hmm. it. It can't, unlike humans, we can take an idea and then extrapolate across things. It's creativity. Mm-hmm. Systems don't have creativity. It's an A, B match, right? This is mm-hmm. A, this is B. Are you matching this or matching that? So if I've got something that's not A and not B, it's a coin toss. Mm-hmm. And that is a fundamental problem with AI that is driving all the issues that we see. The data has to basically mirror <clears throat> the world that we live in as it changes in order for the AI to keep up with what's going on in the world. So when you hear about you know AI and policing, you feed it data of what arrest records, where you've sent the police before, where there's been tagging, where there's been truancy, which are things that have been called out by San Jose and the smart policing. Um, and so then it says, and then you say, where is there going to be crime? Where there was crime before. <laughs> like that's, mm-hmm. It's not going to say, oh, these are the factors of crime. And based on these, you know, independent factors, you know, mm-hmm. crime can occur anywhere. No, you have flagged these hotspots already. And so it's just going to reflag those hotspots hot because there's a high degree of confidence that the place where someone got robbed is probably a place where people get robbed, right? Mm-hmm. And so when the data is skewed in some way, then the AI is going to be skewed in the same way. So for regular people, it comes down to if you are not well represented in a data set, you're probably going to get screwed. Uh, if, you, <laughs> if there's not a lot of data about you or your people, that makes it into the data set, then the AI has no no idea what to do with you. Um, If the data set is misrepresentative of you and your people, then the AI will misrepresent you. And that's what we saw with the Compass algorithm that was saying, they were using it to say, well, who should should spend more time in jail? Well, Black people tend to get longer sentences. Black and, Mm -hmm. and, and Hispanic people tend to get longer sentences. We tend to be punished at a much higher rate. And so when the system is looking, it's going to follow those same patterns. And so when you're, when you're in a situation where the data is against you, mm-hmm. AI is not going to make things fair. It can't. And when people say they're going to de-bias the data, we don't even understand the depth of the levels of bias in our data. There was mm-hmm. a, there was a, I'm sorry, I'm kind of rambling. This is my No, no, no. I'm loving oh. it. <laughs> <laughs> there was a research, um, a study that was done uh, this summer, I think it was uh, Georgia Tech, uh, or someone from Georgia Tech told me about it. So I, mm-hmm. I think she was the main professor on the study. Um, and they looked at uh, x-ray images. So an x-ray of you know body parts, uh, internal mm-hmm. body parts. And they stripped it of like the race. So they, they, they taught an x-ray about race or an, an AI about race. They stripped the x-rays of race, and then they made the x-rays so degraded, like the images, that it just looked like a gray blob. Like, it, you can't mm. even tell it's an x-ray in the image. Yeah. The AI, with high confidence, could tell the race of the person who the x-ray was taken mm-hmm. at the blob level. Mm-hmm. So race is so deeply encoded in our data. We don't know how to pull it out. Like mm-hmm. we, we can pull out, oh, I won't say race or gender, right? Um, yeah. But if you went to an HBCU or you played women's lacrosse, then mm-hmm. it's still going to your race and gender, right? So when we yeah. try to de-bias our, our algorithms for like uh, looking at your applications, 
mm-hmm. then we find that the AI will just find other ways to find race and gender because those are highly predictive and it wants to score well. So if white men tend to get hired by your company and that's your history and mm-hmm. you train this AI system on your historical people who have done well at this company, then your AI system is looking for those white men because those are people who do well. So, mm-hmm. oh, I'm going to take out race. Okay, can I find it some other way? Because I know white men do well at this company. So th- we don't have the tools to make AI fairer than people. Mm-hmm. And that is the big marketing speech. Machines can't be racist. Machines mm-hmm. are, are going to be fairer than people. But the machine is not like appearing whole cloth you know, out of the ether, people yeah. make it. Mm-hmm. Our data feeds it. So yeah. the machine can only be as unbiased and unracist as we are. And if we are already recognizing that people are the problem, then putting people into a machine form mm-hmm. doesn't solve the problem. It just yeah. makes it harder to point at the person who's screwing me over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm. what really stuck out to me was, you know, the the base underlying infrastructure of AI really depends on the data set, like you mentioned, and the people going in and flagging, you know, the sad and angry tweets. But, you know, the data set, it doesn't sound like it. It doesn't sound like they have much context and also, you know, perception, like cultural perception of this is funny, but not to this culture. Or (laughs) those nuances. are always angry, Mm -hmm. you know? Like no matter how we fix our or face, we're always or whatever, like all women are always nagging. Every every critique yeah. is it's just a nag. Yeah. So when you when you take that and you're asking people to label, well, they've got their own biases, and they're gonna label me as angrier than they would label a white woman. And we may mm-hmm. be the same level of angry or not angry at all, but the algorithm is now gonna think that basically anything I show in a face that's not a complete smile means I'm pissed off. That yeah. could be problematic if I'm, you know, in a situation where you're using fa- facial recognition to determine if I'm fit, if I have the proper um, comportment for a job because you're using it for an interview software. Well, if I'm not smiling ear to ear every second, then the AI is going to be knocking me off points for being unhappy and angry when you ask questions. So now I'm not going to get the job because I'm not smiling. Mm-hmm. So this is what AI requires, when you, when you create an AI system, you're basically telling people you need to behave in the way that the successful people in the data set behaved in mm-hmm. order to be successful. So now I need to change how I present myself as a Black woman to better suit how the AI sees me. How is that okay? Yeah. Yeah. Code switching. It's the same with... Um... When they used to do, pers- I, some companies I think still do personality tests. And I have personally remembered like acing interviews and going, oh, it's great, just one last thing. And then got ghosted. <laughs> <laughs> just one last thing. Oh my gosh, she's a psycho killer. Like, I mean, but my experience is different. I, I, there was a, a product management like VP who gave a speech at an onboarding ceremony that I was in, who said that the role of product management leadership, your managers, is to, you know, basically help you move along this track. And as long as we set our track and set the expectations, it shouldn't matter who your manager is. Everyone Mm -hmm. should do the same. Yeah. I lost all respect from that man in that moment. Because Mm -hmm. as a white man, that may be your experience. But as a black woman, it is critical who my boss is. It is critical how they see me, you know, in the world. Do they do they have a problem with women in general? Because mm-hmm. they really don't have a problem with me, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, do they, yes. <laughs> they, do they not think Black people work hard? Because I've come across that. And I'm like, dude, mm-hmm. I've got two, actually, like, you've got two degrees. I have four. Like, I don't understand how you're telling me that I, mm-hmm. I need to work harder or I'm not as smart. You know, if, it matters who your manager is. But you've got people who refuse to recognize this and that when that happens in AI mm-hmm. now I've created a system that enshrines this colorblind you know attitude yeah. towards the world that penalizes people who don't meet the criteria and I don't have anyone to point to who do I yeah. I can I can at least know my manager sucks but when the mm-hmm. AI system goes through 
I don't know yeah. why I got ghosted. You know, I don't even know it was an AI system that did it. And then mm-hmm. if I find out, who do I, who do I sue? Because we don't have yeah. laws yet. Mm, yeah. We do not have the laws yet. We barely have the instruction manuals, how to use it. <laughs> I mean, or, or, how to, or how to understand it on the outside. So I, I was um, in an interview, in a panel interview, and they asked once again, you know, about uh, the, the lack of diversity in tech and how mm-hmm. we need to force these tech companies to hire more black people. And I've been in these tech companies, and you're basically leading us couple of black people who get in as lamps to the slaughter. It's always going to be brutality. It's always going to yeah. be a negative experience for us. So mm-hmm. my thing was tech is a tool, right? So I think of it as the world is a banquet. Tech is a server coming mm-hmm. around with something they want you to take, right? Like, mm-hmm. do, you, do you want chicken or fish, right? Like that's yeah. what tech is. I got all this chicken. You really want the chicken. Do you want the chicken? <laughs> But they're going like to the tables of medical and government and, you know, and education and policing. And they're going to all these tables trying to hawk this dog on chicken. And mm-hmm. all you want to do is hire more black waiters. Mm-hmm. I want more black people at the tables. You mm-hmm. know, why are we not putting AI and focus on AI and healthcare, sending our students there? Sending our young people there, sending them into government, sending them to the area where they can make decisions that affect how this tech is unleashed upon the world. Because mm-hmm. if hospitals don't take the because it's crap, then the tech companies have to go and fix it, right? Yeah. If if medical if if the the AMA stands up and says these are the rules and if you can't meet them, you can't come in. You know, if we've got techies black techies in that conversation talking about how algorithms around healthcare are just massively biased in ways that are just unnecessary, mm-hmm. then that changes, you know, what they do at the producer level, right? But we're just like, no, everybody go to the producers, fight, open the doors. No, you you work with the people with the power. The people sitting at the tables have the power, right? Mm-hmm. So get more people at the tables, and then tell them what you want them to serve. I don't like chicken. I yeah. want seafood. I want fish. Yeah. I want crabs because I'm seven. <laughs> <laughs> I want garlic crabs. Can you look it and sit it at my table? Like, mm-hmm. I want to be sitting at the table. But there's such a focus on we need to be in the room to create the algorithms. But if there's no pressure on the sales side, then yeah. what's the point of, of trying? You're not going to fight it from within. They need to lose contracts to make changes. They need to Mm -hmm. not be able to make money to make changes. So the internal focus on changing things from the inside, there's a very steep ceiling to that. Whereas if we own all the tables, they're going to go and fix their shit in order to make money from us. Mm -hmm. So I think our focus is off on that. Yeah. And, you know, I was thinking more about your, your x-ray story and how, um, you know, the, the, the colorblind approach in thinking that'll just solve everything. But clearly there are other labels associated with, you know, your, demo, uh, your, your demographic that are way more insidious, but also like really spread, like hairline, little, little fractures everywhere. <laughs> and not acknowledging that um, those other labels, that is also kind of a requirement. Like, you know, if you have if you want to hire more, more black women or, you know, um, a person of color, but the labels and standards of getting to that position hasn't been changed to reflect the lived experience of, of people of color. It's, it's impossible for them to meet is what I'm hearing. Yeah. And that's, that's been an argument within HR for some time, which is you need to start revamping how you put these jobs out there because, Oh, you need a bachelor. My first job in tech they were like, oh, you need to know how to code. I didn't code. We didn't mm-hmm. code. We were nowhere near code. We were looking at like Google websites. Like there's no mm-hmm. code, but it's mm-hmm. just a way to minimize how many people can apply. Right. And yeah. so we've been running that game for a long time. And so, you know, I'm not saying it, it's always, well, we want qualified people. And that's that's the spin. Well, I don't want less qualified people. Well, coding doesn't make me any more qualified for that job. 
Like that's, mm-hmm. that's what it comes down to is you want qualifications for qualification sake. And at that point, you're just shutting people out. Mm-hmm. If, the quali- if the qualifications are tied to success in the job, they're legitimate. And that's something you can focus on. Yeah. And if they are tied to success in the job, chances are they're more neutral than the stuff that you're asking for. Because mm-hmm. a lot of the qualifications are just basically status. You know, yeah. you need to have gone to this kind of school. You need to have, you know, taken unpaid internships, which who can do that when you're trying mm-hmm. to, you know, first generation, yeah. even second generation college student. Like who who can just not, you know? So these are these are all, you know, non-color listed signals of who you need to be and and where your life needs to have have gone the experiences you need to have had in Mm -hmm. order to get this job but is any of that tied to successful you know to your success in the job and currently Mm -hmm. most of the time it's not and so bringing in an ai system to codify a job system that's already biased and then saying, oh, but the AI system will fix it. How? It doesn't think independently. How? It learns from what you give it. And everything you're giving it is biased. But you want me to believe on the other end that it's going to be okay. Because two plus two equals five when tech yeah. money is involved. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. Especially after I watched a bunch of the We Work documentaries. And now it's like, I don't understand. Like, I see it. Like, you didn't see this coming? <laughs> like- Theranos. Nobody That's ever saw the tech. Nobody ever talked to the engineers. Mm-hmm. Like I, I tell people all the time, if you're not speaking to a product manager and mm-hmm. you're getting ready to make a big tech buy, you might as well flush that money. Because marketing yeah. does what marketing does. But marketing yeah. should get you to the door. You mm-hmm. get to talk to the people who have the knowledge in order to spend that kind of cash. And a lot of people just don't do it. They take it off of, you know, well, this person's like me, so they wouldn't lie to me. Well, yeah. If that was the case, there'd be no con game. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, if I had the only con people who were fundamentally different than me, then I would lose every time. You con the people who are most similar to you, who make mm-hmm. you feel most comfortable. That's the nature of the game. So yeah, you want to believe in people, and I get that. But this is business. You mm-hmm. need receipts. I need receipts everywhere I go as a black woman. Yeah. But apparently, there are people in the world who don't need receipts, and some yeah. of them take advantage of that to like great devastation to the people who have given them. But the problem is then those people turn around, they're not trusting, but they'll not trust black people now. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like that, yeah. That we get like, the, the repercussions of those yeah. failed. It's like, I got screwed by this person who I thought was very similar to me. Then so then the people who are very different than me, Oh my God, they must be monsters. Mm-hmm. Just not learning or learning the wrong lessons. Yeah. It's my qualifications. I have to suss out my qualifications because it doesn't look the same. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, so with the data sets being um, flawed, very flawed and biased, mm. what have you seen? The data sets human, are human. Yeah. It's a <laughs> yes. human error. It is a human error. And so part of that antidote is expanding, would you say, is expanding definitely the number of people at that table and engaging data differently or what have you thought about or kind of seen um, in, in the practice of AI ethics and, and how do we make it more less, less dangerous and harmful for the community? Well, I'm, I'm in a, a it seems to be growing number of voices that just say, don't use AI for certain things. Just don't, we don't know enough. We know enough to know that it's dangerous. And at this point, just don't use it for certain applications, right? Um, I am heavily in that camp. I am a get in a room, figure out where you want to be, brainstorm as many solutions. 80% of them will not be AI, (laughs) right? Um, And then figure out what's most feasible. If AI is most feasible, then understand you're going to have to do some things to create some buffers around it and that it's not directly making decisions. It can be queried, not just, you know, what what it made a decision, its decisions on, but why. So there's transparency and explainability. Um, I think there's another word in there that I, I looked up. I, I, there was an article that I found really interesting. I'll share it with you afterwards. But uh, it's, it's the idea that it's not sufficient um, for the AI to, to tell you what it, it 
made its decision off of, it also has to be able to tell you why it made that decision. Because there's people just want transparency and it's like, well, um, I made this decision because the waiting was this. Oh, okay. Like that doesn't mean in real life. Like I need the same kind of explanation that I will want from a person. I made this decision because people in this bracket have a higher risk of failure than people in this bracket. And I determined that by this pattern kind of thing, right? Um, but that's really hard to do. And it's expensive to do. And AI is very expensive. And, you know, we've, we don't really talk a lot about what it costs us in breathable air. You know, AI, deep learning specifically, requires a lot of compute power. That's big, huge data centers running around the clock all the time, all the time. Um, these data centers are running on gas. That's, that's CO2 emissions, like, every day. And right now, um, the EPA doesn't regulate data centers. And so we don't honestly know how much CO2 is emitted by AI. And so when you're looking at something like a self-driving car, self-driving cars are basically embedded, embedded um, Internet of Things, basically embedded, um, just Internet of Things, right? Um, so they are running all the time, collecting data, and then sending it back, like all day, sending it back, right? Think of how many um, Teslas are out on the road right now. Every single Tesla, sending back data to data centers on a regular basis. That data comes into the data center, they have to label it, they have to retrain the AI based on it, and then send updates back. This is a continuous process. So like, it takes a crap ton of energy to train an initial AI system, but that's a fraction of what it costs to maintain it over time. AI is a continuously learning system. And it sends back massive amounts of data to be relabeled, retrained, resent back out in the field. This is a continuous process. Well, that's CO2 emitted at every single stage of that process. And we're not talking about what that means in terms of environmental impact. And we know that minority communities are getting shafted when it comes to environmental impact. So you're seeing these data centers pop up in neighborhoods, you know, that are that are underserved right, that are, that are poor, that are minority. Um, but that may change because Bitcoin is ballsy. Like they have started going to the beautiful, pristine lakes in like Northern New York, like places where, you know, just, just people make paintings of, just beautiful places. They've been going there and setting up Bitcoin mines and like abandoned um, uh, power stations, right? But the amount of water that it intakes every day to, to cool these, um, these data, uh, data racks, right? The servers is massive. And so it's heating up the water in the lake itself. So the fish start dying, the birds move away, right? Uh, there's noise pollution from the whir all of the all of the servers running 24/7 and and not to mention now all of these once shuttered uh, electric stations are now back running and and they're running off of gas and coal so that's more emissions so new york has an issue with are they going to meet their emissions goals if they allow bitcoin to keep running amok and what is that doing to society so you've got people of means and of some lesser means who live in these pristine communities or grew up in them, spent summers in them, and they're like, what the hell? You're destroying, like, you're just sucking the life out of the lake? Who does this? So they're fighting right now in New York. Little small towns are fighting in New York. Um, we will probably get more traction from those fights because they're high profile than people in, in poorer neighborhoods saying, you know, things were already bad and now they're worse. So... And also, we don't have pristine lakes and <laughs> poor neighborhoods looking around Bitcoin farms, but they do, you know, have a lot of data centers. So, um, yeah, I, I think we have to start talking about what the cost-benefit analysis of using AI. We're just throwing it at everything because the tech companies want to make their money. 
right? We've spent all this money in R&D, you know, we're printing money by the day. And so they're just shoving it into every single situation that they can. But really, AI is more like nuclear. You need to use it sparingly and where it makes sense. And so I think for us, the goal is to figure out what are the best society, societal benefiting applications of AI? And how can we tailor our usage to best improve society? As, and, and, and that will allow us to limit the carbon footprint, to kind of focus in on addressing some of these issues with data and bias. You know, if we just focus on AI as not something to just throw out, and, oh, everybody's using AI. If we focus on using it, you know, for its, its best purposes, um, then I think we're in a situation where we can kind of, you know, bring down the temperature, control what we're doing, and actually figure out what we can do with this tech uh, in a way yeah. that we just haven't really done. Wow. So it's, it sounds like, you know, the, the marketing and PR from, from these companies is, it reminds me of the story of plastic. It's going to change everything. We can it did, use it for everything. Oh, it changed <laughs> everything. Microplastics in Alaska and in places that have not been touched by, by human hands have been touched by microplastics. Yeah, yeah. It's the same kind of thing, which it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a wonder wonder technology. But, yeah, and, you know, and I'm so hearing it's both, it's both water and air that it impacts. Yes. But then also whatever minerals that you need to build these data yeah. centers, and and also the things that so self-driving cars, um, not not self-driving cars specifically, but the uh, electric cars, mm-hmm. uh, we have to mine different components now in order to uh, create the batteries for them, and mm-hmm. that's destructive mining. And people are now saying, well, we'll just mine it from the ocean floor. Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong can go, you know, nothing can go wrong with that. Right? And so, like, yeah. there's this small UN authority uh, that's headquartered in Jamaica. Awesome. Uh, mm-hmm. Love if you guys want to call me out to have a speech, just saying. Um, <laughs> but they they are tasked with determining, like, can these companies mine the ocean floor for mm-hmm. these minerals that we're running out of or are harder to get to on Earth? And please, yeah. God, let the end to be no. <laughs> yeah. Extraction yeah. is just, it's not mm-hmm. the way. As we should be learning and just mountains of data on that, that it's, it's not the way to go. I mean, I, I've been reading, um, I spoke with another person who, who is a lawyer and, and they have been working on um, providing legal rights to bodies of water and mm. forests and things like that. And there are even bodies of rights for the, the moon. And I read like the Declaration of the Rights of the Moon, which I was really blown away because it's it's so far out of space. It's like so sci-fi to think about that. But then I think about a uh, James Cameron's movie Avatar, and I was like, that's mm-hmm. how it starts. First, mm-hmm. it's just we're practicing on the moon, but then mm-hmm. once we got Moon and Mars, we're just gonna go to every single planet with that same extraction model because we need these things to build our tools. <laughs> I wrote I wrote a while ago, and I, I meant to follow up on it. Uh, well, I intend to follow up on it in a book that I, at some point, will, fin- will finish. But, um, you know, sci-fi is the dream of the future, right? Mm-hmm. And so we have all these movies. Um, Fury and Survivor. <laughs> I can't remember the name of the movie right now. But we, <laughs> we've got all these movies where there's this, this, uh, this alien body. And its goal is to extract resources you know, from other planets. Mm-hmm. Why do we think we're the good guys in that story? When yeah, and the way we other... how we've set up our society mm-hmm. makes us the extractors. Like, we watch these movies and we always think we're the scrappy good guy fighting the extractor. But when you look at how our society is set up and what we're doing currently, and you see, you know, our plans for the future and, you know, the, the, the richest of the rich saying, well, we're just going to start building spaceships and we can get the fuck out of here when it's blowing up you know like Mm -hmm. when you see that and you look at it holistically how are we the good guys Mm -hmm. we've been telling ourselves this story the wrong way for decades we are always the bad guys in this story Mm -hmm. like always 
from a societal standpoint, we may individually think that we would make different choices, but we're living in the society that's making these negative choices and we haven't found a way to turn it around. Yeah. So we're going to be dragged along in the society to be the bad guys. Mm-hmm. That's just, that is the life that we are currently choosing. Unless we get different writers at the table. <laughs> I mean, different writers at the table um, break up the tables. Like mm-hmm. we, we got a kitchen that only four companies or four four head head servers are mm-hmm. in, right? And so they only they only want to serve uh, serve the thing that they have the most of. So this guy's got yeah. chicken, that guy's got fish. So they're just hawking all of that, right? We need other vendors in the kitchen, right? We need mm-hmm. we need a, a people who have vegetarian people who mm-hmm. have you know different. Um, I like. Japanese food like mm-hmm. my wife studies Japanese uh they do noodles and seafood and those are two of my favorite foods and so it was just a match made in heaven so yeah, yeah. <laughs> to have, have different kinds of foods to be served is step one and I think mm-hmm. there's a, a push to that you know towards that with this antitrust uh conversation but you know instead of trying to get more black people into a, a broken system yeah I think break up the system right and when there's real competition at that level, you'll see different different things will happen in academia because mm-hmm. these same four or five people are funding all of the AI research and they yeah. only want to fund stuff that is of interest to them. So mm-hmm. now you free up academia to look at different kinds of solutions that people are like, oh, haven't we researched? No, we ain't researching shit except for mm-hmm. what Google pays for. And Google yeah. wants us to research this one thing. And if you don't mm-hmm. research this one thing or you say something's wrong with this one thing, a la Timnit, Mm-hmm. then you're out, right? Yeah. So I think people don't understand how concentrated the power has been in tech. And we're mm-hmm. just assuming that tech is coming out with the best solutions every day, and they're not. They're coming out with the best solution these couple teams can come up with. But yeah. there's a lot of good solutions that people just can't get funded to do. Mm-hmm. And so I think it starts with that. So breaking up that table gets more people in the kitchen and gives us more options. Right. Yeah. Um, it also requires them to be more innovative. And if they're required to be more innovative, they can't hire the same people with the same credentials all the time. They yeah. will know that they need someone with a different experience because you just keep building the same shit. You got to build something that you would never think of, which means you got to yeah. talk to people you would never talk to. Mm-hmm. So I think breaking up big tech will free up a lot of space for mm-hmm. more of us to enter those tables. But until yeah. we get to you know, the kitchen tables. Yeah. I still think we need all the other tables, right? Like mm-hmm. I feel like yeah. let them figure out that kitchen stuff. Let them let them come and pay me to go in the kitchen. But I, mm-hmm. I want to be sitting at the table being served. Like I don't yeah. I'm not about this focus of everybody running to the kitchen to be a server. I want to be served. I want you to come and give me what I want. Right. Mm-hmm. So I feel like we need to take over, you know, all these and there's a lot of black or, or minorities in general in healthcare, mm-hmm. yeah, and government. And education. Not We're so here. Much in life, but, <laughs> but we exist heavily in these other spaces, mm-hmm. but we've been basically thrown out of the conversation like, oh, you don't know tech, you can't talk. So mm-hmm. part of what I'm doing is trying to enable people and to empower people to have the right language and, and the confidence to say, I may not know all the technical details, but I do know your data's messed up. And what are you mm-hmm. going to do about that? Yeah. I do know that, you know, this doesn't, tech can't, AI can't do the things that you're saying that it can do. Mm-hmm. So can you prove to me what you can do? What is your history? What have you done? Yeah. What what results have you seen mm-hmm. over a year or two years, not six months or a lab test? Like yeah. enabling people to have those conversations and be active at the tables that they're sitting at. I feel like mm-hmm. that's where we can make the initial push while we may wait for government to figure out how to break up the kitchen. Yeah. What would you say you had mentioned earlier? There's there's certain things that AI just should not do. And so what is the the AI no fly list that government should be aware of? Life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. If AI should not be the final decision maker or even like close to the final decision maker to determine if I get out of jail or go to jail, if I have to face the police or not you know, more increasing police or not. Um, If I get money to feed my kids or not, if 
the police are going to come and take my kids or not. There is mm-hmm. a huge scandal in Denmark, I believe, where they had used an AI system to flag people who might be fraudulent when it came to welfare benefits. But they heavily penalized people just for the AI saying it was suspicious. Mm-hmm. So the AI didn't make the final decision. But the, the government workers just basically said, I'm going to target people of dual nationality because, you know, they ain't from here, so they cheat, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to target people who are young or whatever other reason. Anything that, that wasn't perfect, they went and clawed back money from these people. Woman, woman got a bill for $100,000 in benefits mm-hmm. that she was supposed to pay back. People mm-hmm. committed suicide. They were taking children from families because you can't pay this money back. So now you're unfit. And so children were placed in foster care all because an AI system said, well, these, these people, the pattern indicates mm-hmm. that they're more likely to be suspicious than others. Right. So it's, yeah. that's why it's, it shouldn't be involved in that decision-making process at all. The, mm-hmm. the right AI is boring AI. AI in the, in the, in the legal system that goes through and looks at what's the, the, the likelihood of, you know, this type of case getting through the court system at this particular time, or mm-hmm. how can I better or more effectively schedule my judges and my hearings in order to like, you know, make sure that we're, we're getting max utilization of our courtrooms, right? Mm-hmm. Not yeah. AI that says this person is more likely to be guilty than that person. Because mm-hmm. people default to believe in AI. So, yeah. oh, it didn't make the decision. But it's hard for people to say the machine is wrong. Because no one mm-hmm. wants to look foolish if the machine was right. So just yeah. don't let it even say, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so anything that directly affects life, liberty, or, or pursuit of happiness, no. You can't tell me if I should get a loan or not. You can't tell me if I should get, um, if I should be able to move into an apartment or not. You know, mm-hmm. just if I should be able to get a job or not right? Like anything that allows me to live my life should be off limits and then use AI for automation efficiency, which Mm -hmm. is fundamentally what AI is, automated decision-making. So let it automate decisions that don't hurt people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the whole concept of, of AI, as you, as I'm listening to you describe it, is you filter out people and like these other people are are termed bad or not fit and it just casts them away it doesn't say like oh i wonder why these people struggle so much let's look into it deeper it's just like these are the bad apples and you end up creating more harm especially when that person just happens to check suspicious not that they've actually done anything wrong at all but then you're perpetuating this really um deep harm in the in the community yeah, and that's the that's the problem is people are like, oh, but it's fairer than humans. No, it's not. Well, well, people could have screwed you not at this scale. Mm-hmm. An individual person can only do so much harm. An AI system can throw one million people off of unemployment in the middle of the winter. The scale of the harm is what's different. And so it's it's not a one-to-one human versus versus machine. It mm-hmm. is like thousands of humans versus a machine. It does harm on a scale that's just not possible for a regular person to do. And mm-hmm. so we have to stop considering it like, oh, it's just like if, if, if you know, Sally in accounting made decisions. No, it's not. Mm-hmm. No, it's not. And it never will be. And so I think if we, if we understand the scale, then it makes a lot more sense for us to be a lot more skeptical about how mm-hmm. we how we use this technology in real life. Okay. So um, wrapping up and also kind of just my takeaway of what the city of San Jose is, is working on right now and, you know, they're climate smart, but one of the main things that happened during the charter review is that they wanted to expand resident participation in these bodies that are making decisions and writing laws. And then also um, there seems to be um, more thought about the ethics of how we use AI. And there is different, um, definitely places where the technology has not developed enough to be able to apply it in this manner that really could impact uh, somebody's life. Yeah. Agreed. And I think um, data is a critical thing. Data privacy, who has access to data, 
Are mm -hmm. we are we enabling backend surveillance of people without their consent? Um, you know, a smart city collects a lot of data. You know, yeah. who's going to have access to that and for what purposes? So, mm -hmm. yeah, I think the fact that they're opening it up for citizen involvement should have been a no-brainer, and mm -hmm. I'm glad that it's happening. <laughs> um, like, I'm a little shocked that it, it wasn't the initial, but okay, uh, we're here now. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I think, I think uh, it's it's critical to have, you know, people, even if you don't understand yet, mm -hmm. just go to the meetings and hear what they have to say. And if something sounds fishy, make them explain it to you in ways that you can understand. Because honestly, that's the job, right? Yeah. It's not, mm -hmm. oh, we've got this cool thing. And, you know, if you don't really understand it, you just don't understand it. We're going to move on. No, it mm -hmm. is their job to make you understand, to, to say it in a way that makes sense to you. So mm -hmm. stop letting folks off the hook. Stop being worried about looking silly and asking stupid questions. Half the time, the people who are pushing this stuff, they don't understand the tech either. And that's why they get yeah. frustrated when you ask questions because now they look stupid and they feel stupid, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you keep pushing and you make them make you understand and you fight for the decisions that are best for your community. Yeah, because, you know, their their job is to govern our lives, you know, yes. our lived experience in this city. And they, they should be able to explain, this is how I'm going to govern you. These how are the laws apply to you. You can't brush them off just because no. there's a language barrier. And there is a language barrier, but that's a whole other issue that we could have also been addressing during this yeah. time. But, you know, with more, now that people have um, been participating more and more since um, George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter protests in June 2020, there have been a lot of people really interested for the first time in a city council meeting. What is a city yeah. budget? And they're coming in and they are asking a lot of questions. And I can see that tension there. But I'm glad it's there because it means, <laughs> yeah, that's your job. <laughs> I mean, come on, man. Like, that's that's what you signed up for. You can't be mad. People want you to do your job. Like, and making yeah. my job hard. Every other job you have, people make it hard and you suck it up and deal with it. But when you deal with the public, they're just supposed to let you do whatever. Do mm -hmm. you understand the impact you have on these people's lives? You can assign a, a stroke of a pen and their child can be killed tomorrow. They mm -hmm. can lose their home next week. Like you have massive power over these people and you don't feel that you should be agitated, you know, when they have questions to ask, you better suck it up. That's your job, yeah. you know, yeah. like create more documentation or, or more people friendly documentation, bring in consultants yeah. who can help you explain <laughs> what you're doing, but you can't expect people to take off faith anything that you push from a governmental standpoint, given the situation we're in and this deep distrust between people and institutions right now. You got to put in that extra work. Like it's not your fault necessarily, but it's generations of governments that have put mm -hmm. people in a position of distrust. And you're in a position now where you're just stuck trying to unwind it. That's the job. That's the job. Yeah. So there shouldn't be tension. I can understand being frustrated, but there shouldn't be tension. They have a right to ask these questions and they have a right for you to answer in a way that they understand. That's the mm -hmm. job. Yeah. Okay. So wrap up question. I'm wondering, you know, since we started on sci-fi, maybe we can end on uh, a sci-fi uh, San Jose or like Bay Area, I don't know, like five years in the future, say everything. So the big companies are broken up and now we're like beginning the process of using AI to make our lives easier. What, you know, what could it look like if we begin to move towards this direction and we stick to making it more equitable and breaking up big companies and things like that? So I think you'll see job growth. Uh, mm -hmm. Not just amongst um, you know, minority candidates, but I think you'll see smaller corporations. It'll feel a lot more like it felt when tech was first getting started in the Bay. Um, mm -hmm. Not necessarily a startup culture, because we see how that's gone a bit toxic, mm -hmm. um, but a lot smaller and more diversified uh, work. Uh, salaries will probably come to a more reasonable gap between top and bottom, which I mean, honestly, the people at the bottom, I hope, or at the top, I hope you enjoyed it. Like you were riding that wave for a long time. You should have put some money to the side. Like it's, it's <laughs> yeah. time to share. So mm -hmm. I think that'll, that gap will shrink, uh, which will make, you know, the ability to have affordability in the city a lot better. Um, if we use AI for some of these boring backend systems, government mm -hmm. will be more efficient in certain ways, which means things will be easier to do and easier to move. Um, mm -hmm. And you'll have, more time as a government official 
you know, to get to some of these harder problems that we've really, really had problems solving, like homelessness. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think um, part of that will be ameliorated by, you know, the the, the change in, in uh, the, the wage gap. And so mm-hmm. people will have a bit more ability to pay and not get thrown out of their homes. Mm-hmm. Um, but homelessness is just going to be an issue that needs to be addressed because it's been entrenched for some time. And so it's not mm-hmm. just going to go away because the money evens out, right? Yeah. But we just don't have the time or the resources or the bandwidth to put on that issue. Um, but we'll be able to do that. Mm-hmm. And I think our water management can get better uh, within and our sewage management, all that stuff can get better. But water management specifically, mm-hmm. uh, there are some innovations in um, fire management and determining mm-hmm. fires like at the moment. Um, but within all of that, you know, a heavy focus on data privacy, how data is used, even if we used AI, you know, in, in the most positive ways, if we allow that data to get out in the wrong ways, then mm-hmm. it's going to be a negative stain on all those efforts. So mm-hmm. I think there is a positive light for us to, you know, to move towards. Um, but yeah, it's a lot of moving parts, right? A lot of stuff has yeah. to happen. And you can be hopeful, but cautious because mm-hmm. breaking up big tech, you know, entrenched power doesn't like to go. And so mm-hmm. they're trying to suck as much as they can through the straw before, <laughs> before someone pulls the cup away. But, you know, they're going to they're gonna fight to the, to the bitter end. And so getting from this monopolistic situation into a more um, even market mm-hmm. is going to be a battle. But if we can make that happen, then I think there's a lot of positive changes for the bay that come from that. Awesome. That's a good picture. I like that picture. <laughs> Let's see if we can write it. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, thank you so much for, for joining us and explaining um, all of the things. I definitely learned so much. And I hope that I think a lot of people will, will take away um, some of the the more basic infrastructures of AI and where it's at, because the content that exists out there makes it seem so much more than it is. I mean, we like to sell ourselves, you know. It's <laughs> game, right? Yeah, you got to make the dream kind of a seducing. Exactly, like, how, how, how can you become like the biggest powers in the world if mm-hmm. you don't have a marketing story? Like that's just the nature yeah. of the game. America's an advertising society. So, I mean, I'm from Florida. Yeah. People think everywhere is the beach or mm-hmm. Disney World. And I'm like, wow, our marketing is great. <laughs> Florida is <laughs> yeah. not that. So it's just the nature of, you know, American companies. So yeah. uh, every yeah. industry has fallen prey to it. But mm-hmm. um, I'm a marketer too. Ah, Professionally, I started and I was reading the other day and someone said, you know, I'm in marketing, which is just propaganda. That's what I do. And I was like, oh, I never thought of it that way, but it's true. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. Yeah, but I, I think uh, I think the the market is is kind of it's it's losing its luster uh, mm-hmm. as people start to learn more and more. And so I am hopeful that you know we will get where we need to be. I think there are significant powers, for whatever reason, you know, pushing us in the right direction. Some of them don't have the right <laughs> reasons in yeah. mind, but you mm-hmm. know, do the right thing for the wrong reason. I'm still giving you partial credit, right? So. Yeah. Um, I think we're, we're pushing towards the right directions. We just have to understand it's going to be a battle. But if we win it, it, it's a fair Bay Area for all of us. It's people who had to leave being able to come back and live in the city again. You know, like it, it's, we'll never be, you know, there's never a heyday that you can return to. But we can create something new that's our own and that feels more like living instead of surviving.